From the newfound avocado addiction to the cronut craze, New Yorkers are constantly snapping pictures of their food to post on social media sites. Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook are full of recipes and perfectly captured table settings. For some people, going out to eat has become less about the food and more about the spectacle and aesthetic value of the meal. Hi, I'm George Boldarki, and this is Cityscape. Coming up, a visit to a cafe in New York City that sparked Instagram's obsession with matcha. Our focus was how do we get people excited about a product that's been around for over a thousand years that everyone like lightly knows about, but how do you get someone excited about tea? But first, we talk with the founder of Brunch Boys, Jeremy Jakobowitz. His well-known Instagram account is now a new media company focused on everything brunch, and it's also Jeremy's full-time gig. Brunch Boys has nearly 450,000 followers on Instagram and a strong presence on YouTube. He joins me now on the phone. Jeremy, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me. Of course. So how did Brunch Boys come about? Right. So about four years ago, I was a food TV producer, and I always it was always freelance. So I bounce around from gig to gig, show to show, and I'm someone that just can't sit still ever. So I was between gigs and just wanted something creatively you know, fun to do. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll make some brunch videos. And that was pretty much the only thought. It wasn't to have a food Instagram. It wasn't to have a business. It really was just to give me something to do. And it uh, turned into something I couldn't even imagine. So why did you settle on brunch? So, I mean, with everything that I do, I want to try and be different. I want to give a reason for someone to care about the content I'm doing. And I just thought, okay, you know, if it's just really me and my buddies putting this thing together, you know, what's going to make someone want to watch this? And I thought, okay, like, let me pick a subject matter that maybe doesn't get so much attention. And I thought, well, you know, I love brunch. Everyone I know loves brunch. And there really wasn't just a lot of stuff out there in the media world with brunch. So I thought, okay, if there's any reason anyone's ever going to pay attention to this, it will because it will be because this is the only brunch thing that's there. What do you think it is about brunch that people like so much? I mean, I always say, like, it really, like, especially in New York City, it's like the one meal a week everyone looks forward to. It's like the one meal you can, like, chill, you're with your friends, there's amazing food, there's drinking involved, there's just all these good things where every other meal during the week is like rush, 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 we're moving 100 miles an hour. And it's like the one time you get to chill. What do you look for when picking that meal for your pictures? I think it's a mix of things. I think it's always like what tastes the best, what looks the best, what do I think my audience is going to want, what do I want. And there's a balance to it. Like I think like, you know, things people like gluttonous things, but that's not always what I want to show off necessarily. So, I mean, a lot goes into it, and a lot of what goes into it is sort of using my experience as a food TV producer. Like I've been producing this content for years. It's just now for Instagram as opposed to Food Network. Do you notice that certain trendy dishes gain more social media traction? Yeah, I mean, in general, what's new and what people haven't seen get more traction on Instagram. If it is a dish that is that people have never seen before, I think people just like get more excited. I think there's definitely phases of like, oh my god, unicorn, and oh my god, rainbow, and oh my god, that stuff. I mean, I, I tend to stay away from that because like, I don't know, food fads are sort, are sort of silly. Sometimes, but like if someone's doing something cool and delicious, I'm happy to shut off. The best example is like yesterday, I went to, um, there's a chef buddy of mine uh, named Jordan Angino, and he owns uh, Flip Ziggy. And he put out a dish yesterday, it's like a lo mein burrito. So it's like, all right, it's not like such a wacky idea, but it is these two foods that people love combined into one, and it's something that 
people really, I mean, I've never seen it before, so my audience definitely has never seen it before. And uh, it definitely, like, got a lot of love on Insta. How do you decide what restaurants to visit? It's a mixture. I mean, uh, most of it is restaurants reaching out to me. So for the most part, it's doing it the PR. I mean, sometimes it's as easy as, like, yesterday, and Jordan literally texting me. He's like, hey, dude, I got something cool. Come out for it. Um, it's, it's really a mixture of, like, my schedule. Have I been there before? Does, it just, does the dish super excite me? Does the restaurant excite me? And I try and do about one shoot a day. So I end up getting to about seven places a week. Do you have a favorite shot or a favorite meal? I mean, in terms of restaurants, and shots are always so hard. I always feel like I'm learning every day and I'm improving every day. So, like, every day I take a new favorite photo. Um, in terms of restaurants, like, I always love Gato. Uh, sadly, they don't do brunch. Uh, so more brunch-specific. Uh, I love Llama Inn. I love Quality Eats. I love Sunday in Brooklyn. These are sort of places, like, I'll go to over and over and over again. How long does it take you, on average, to capture that Instagram photo? Not too long, honestly. Like my photo shoots don't last that long. I like I know what I want in the shot. I know what I want when I'm there. So it, it doesn't take that long. I'd say my shoots take about an hour. Um, the editing honestly takes much longer than the shooting. The shooting I could be done with addition a minute. Uh, editing the photos takes when I leave a restaurant. When I leave a restaurant, I generally have probably 200 photos. Wow. Um, and I'm that's about probably six dishes or so. Uh, and so then it's going through those and, you know, knocking that list down and then editing every photo and then picking from those edited photos what I think is best and then which one am I going to post. So it's, it, it's, it's a longer process than you would think. How many Instagram followers do you have now? 447,000. So wow. And you're not just on Instagram. You are a brand all on its own now. Brunch Boys is a brand. Right. I mean, that, that, that's been the goal with it since it's become a full-time job. It's like... Obviously, Instagram is where my audience is, but I would love to build that out in any way, shape, or form. Um, so we're doing a lot of cool stuff on YouTube. We're about to relaunch the website again, sort of like plugging it anywhere I can, getting my, my face out there. Like to me, like the easiest way to grow the brand and to sort of be different is me. <laughs> no one else is going to be – someone else could post photos of brunch, but no one else can be me. Um, so the more TV appearances I could do, the more digital stuff I could do, the more hosting I could do, and grow it out everywhere. Did you expect when you went into this that it would lead to a full-time gig? This would be your full-time thing? No, never. <laughs> I was still working in TV when I started it. And even when I um, decided to do it full-time, it was never my intention to have it be a job or truly do it full-time. Um, I'd been on the road for about nine months or so, back and forth, but pretty much gone doing food travel shows. And I just wanted a break mentally and physically from TV. I was just going to take two months, play a bunch of boys, and go back to TV. Um, but when I took off, concentrated on it, the account just blew up and I, I never went back. Have you ever had a photo that looked delicious when in reality the dish was subpar? I mean, I'm sure I've taken those photos, but I, I, I won't post those photos. I mean, part of it is the research that I do when I go into these restaurants, um, it really is sort of taking my knowledge of when I was a food TV producer. I would have to cast shows for cities that I had never been to and was never going to set foot into those restaurants until we shot there. So it really did take a little bit of digging in terms of, like, how do I feel about this food and having a little bit of a sixth sense about it. Um, and, you know, I, I'm pretty selective about where I go. Like I said, I go to seven restaurants a week, but I could get at least a dozen restaurant invites a day. So, A, where I go, I'm usually – I've done enough research where I trust going in there. And, in two, like, honestly, if I, if I eat the dish and I don't think it's good enough to recommend people going there, I won't post it no matter how good it looks. 
you know, I don't necessarily look at my thing as a review site because I don't review food, I don't critique food, but I understand that a lot of my followers use it as recommendations where to eat. So I, I try and keep it as legit as possible. Tell us about the puppy brunch that you organized <laughs> not too long ago. Right. So part of sort of like expanding beyond Instagram was doing different events. And especially when I was trying to grow, I just thought it was a fun way to just like take that brand and do cool things with it and meet cool people and, you know, stuff like that. Um, so I had the idea for puppy brunch was a, it's my two favorite things were brunch and puppy. So I figured like, why not combine them into one? Uh, and two, it was me realizing that, um, New York city had changed their laws about where you could have dogs in restaurants. It used to be, you need a license, uh, and they changed it to, as long as it's outside, you could have dogs there. So I knew there's an opportunity to do something that no one had ever done before. And sort of going back to the idea of trying to be different with everything that I do, I figured, well, let me throw the first puppy brunch. Uh, and I did. And it was a mixture of, it was the first event I did that was also open to the public as opposed to just influencers. Um, so we sold about 50 tickets to like people. Uh, they bought tickets. We had about 50 comps between media and influencers. And then we had like 30 dogs. We had, everyone was allowed to bring their own dogs. We had into the famous dogs. Um, and then we had dogs you could actually adopt when you went there. Do you plan to do it again? Yeah, it's something that's in the back of my mind. You know, I'm, I'm not an event planner. And uh, the scope of it was so much bigger than I thought it would be. And it's, you know, it's hard to find time to do anything. But I do get asked about it a lot. Uh, so at some point, I'll definitely do another puppy brunch. You were named one of New York City's most eligible bachelors. Who gave you that nomination? Right. Um, so that was funny. That was some of the first press I ever got was this list by guest of the guest putting out the most eligible bachelors. And they never they never really asked me about it. They never confirmed that I was a bachelor, uh, which I thought was the funniest part. Um, second funniest part was this was probably two months after I started doing Brunch Boys full time. So I really didn't have that much money because I was, I really wasn't making any money off of it yet. I was sort of spending every last cent I had on brunch boys. Um, and like, it was me on this list with like a bunch of billion, billionaires. So it's like, I can only imagine what people think of me after being on this list. Did that result in a lot of people coming to you? Yes. Yes. What's funny is I knew something was up that day because I kept getting like Facebook requests and LinkedIn requests, like all these requests away from Instagram. And like that happens because I get my name out there a little bit. And I, and I was like, this is such an odd day. So many people want to be my Facebook friend. And then someone sent me the article. I was like, oh, now I see why everyone wants to be my Facebook friend. <laughs> Let me ask you this question. Why brunch boys? Your brunch boys. So where does the boys come in? Uh, so there are two answers for why it's brunch boys. Um, the answer I sort of enjoy giving is that if it was just brunch boy, like sounds sort of sad, like you would think of me like sitting at brunch by myself. Um, but the true answer is that, you know, the original idea were these videos. And in the video, I had my buddy with me. And that's why it's called Brunch Boys. But then, like, as it expanded beyond just those couple of YouTube videos we did four years ago, it was always sort of my thing. And it just it just grew and grew with, with me only. All right. Well, how do people find you online and on social? I am Brunch Boys everywhere. At Brunch Boys on Instagram, Brunch Boys on YouTube, thebrunchboys.com. Um Facebook, kind of hit Brunch Boys anywhere. You should hopefully all pop up. Jeremy, thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much.
Although it started as a hobby, Jeremy's account is a great example of how Instagrammers advertise for restaurants. The marketing industry has had to adjust to further promote companies digitally. On the phone with me now is Mark Liu. He's co-owner of Gourmet Marketing. Mark, thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me. So tell me a little bit about Gourmet Marketing. Sure. So Gourmet Marketing is a digital marketing agency that focuses on the hospitality sector. Uh, We work primarily with restaurants, bars, and hotels. Uh, We've been around since 2009, and we're headquartered here in New York. What inspired you to co-found this company? Well, I always wanted to work with restaurants. I'm something of a failed chef. I had apprenticed as a chef previously and realized that um, cooking in a restaurant is really hard work. So kind of left that aside for a long time and worked in investment banking and consulting, but always had the bug to work with restaurants, bars, and hotels. And... um, it just so happened that one of my friends who was living in the same student residence as me while I was at Columbia wanted to open this marketing agency working with restaurants. And I thought this would be a great opportunity for me to kind of dive back into that world, but also um, you know, combine my skills and, and find a practical application for that. So that's how we initially started. And then we've been doing that you know, ever since. So how has marketing changed over time because of social media? It's changed tremendously. I mean, when we started in 2009, um, you know, we were already doing work on Facebook and on Twitter, promoting restaurants uh, and hotels. Um, but those platforms have changed tremendously. Uh, Facebook itself is very different from what it was you know, eight years ago. And um, everyone's had to catch up to the changes in the platforms and the way that people use it. And then you've got all of the other different social media platforms that people use. So it's really something that evolves um, not even year to year, but month to month, there's always something new, uh, and restaurants have to adapt to that. Which platform would you say is most advantageous when it comes to promoting restaurants? I think Facebook, uh, for the time being, is still the most commonly used and the most powerful platform, uh, primarily because that's where most people spend their time, but it's also the most versatile in terms of what you can do with it. Um, You can post photos and events and all that sort of stuff. And obviously, there's the advertising angle as well. Um, I'd say Instagram is a close second. That's probably where um, we spend you know, the second most amount of time. Uh, but really, Facebook is dominant. I thought you were actually going to say Instagram, considering how many food shots I see there. Yeah, well, I mean, the reality is, is that Facebook and Instagram are basically, you know, they, they are the same company now. Um, and Instagram is a very close second because you know, we're dealing with food, we're dealing with experiences. So photos and videos are really what sell and get the most engagement. Um, but that being said, Facebook still is uh, where people spend most of their time. So walk me through, Mark, your approach to working with clients, working with restaurants. Yeah, so most of our clients approach us uh, for a variety of different marketing services. And social media is usually one of the cornerstones of, of the packages that we offer. Um, so we really try to dive deeply into the identity of the restaurant, trying to figure out who they are, what are their unique uh, selling propositions, and who their target audience is. And then from there, we're developing a story. We're trying to figure out what's going to resonate the most with their customer base, and then building content and strategies around that so that they can get people to follow them, get more engaged, and ultimately you know, spend more money at the restaurant. How varied are the restaurants that you're currently working with? Oh, we work with all different types of restaurants. We have uh, small, you know, family-owned restaurants. 
uh, all the way up to franchises with 50, 60, 70 different locations and all different types of concepts. Would you say social media marketing is something that has been more geared toward casual businesses or are fine restaurants also taking advantage? I would say that it's more adapted to the casual side of things, but it really depends you know, from concept to concept and from market to market. Uh, ultimately, it's driven by the customers themselves. If the customers are active on social media for that type of concept or you know, they're talking about it on Twitter or Instagram, then, then it is applicable to that restaurant. But there are, there are certainly t- certain types of restaurants that aren't as active on, on social media because, you know, for example, their, their clientele might be a lot older and therefore not active on social media. Um, so by and large, it, it skews a little bit more towards the casual side of things. How do you control user-generated content, the content customers post, to produce a positive outcome for restaurants? So you can't really control the, uh, the user-generated content. That's kind of you know, the nature of, of the beast. Um, but you can encourage people to post better content and uh, incentivize them to post the kinds of content that you want them to. Sometimes that'll take the form of contests or, or sweepstakes, you know, giving people reasons to post a photo of a dish that they've eaten with the hashtag. Other times we work with restaurants to actually craft the look and feel of individual dishes or cocktails so that it becomes more Instagrammable and therefore people are more likely to post that type of food. Do reviews posted on social media platforms override reviews on sites such as Yelp, Zagat, and Google? I wouldn't say that they override. I think they all form part of the same ecosystem. Um, Typically, when we think about the customer journey between discovering a brand or a restaurant or looking for it and then evaluating it, and deciding whether that's a place they want to go to or not, they'll look at a variety of different sources, Yelp being chief among them, but also Facebook and Google. So we, when we're thinking about review monitoring and online reputation management, we try to address all of those different channels. How important is it for a restaurant to take advantage of the trends, the popular hashtags to market themselves? I would say that it can definitely give them a boost, but not at the cost of their core identity and mission. You know, it's, it's, it's very easy to spot when someone is being gimmicky or trying to jump on a bandwagon and it doesn't fit in with, you know, what, what they're actually doing. Um, the, the, the first priority should always be to deliver the best quality food and service and, and be true to your mission. And if there are things out there in, in the Twitterverse, for example, that, that fit well within that, then, then it's a natural fit and you should, uh, you should use that. Uh, but not try to force it. Do you think that restaurants here in New York City have an advantage on social media compared to restaurants elsewhere, small towns, for instance? I think restaurants in big cities definitely have or are definitely exposed to more trends simply because the competition is higher. So, you know, this applies to social media like it applies to um, any kind of trend in the restaurant industry. The more activity there is, the more competition there is, you know, it, it elevates everyone because everyone's trying to top each other. Uh, but that being said, restaurants in smaller towns have access to the same internet that you and I have access to. And so if they take an interest in it, they can see what everybody else is doing and also be at the cutting edge. Well, here's one final question for you. What are your favorite emojis? One of my favorite emojis? Uh, I have to go with the classic the poop emoji. It's the cutest out there, and uh, I think the classics never die. Mark, thanks so much for your time. All right, thank you very much.
Mark Liu is the co-owner of Gourmet Marketing. If you'd like to get an understanding of a restaurant that has gotten excellent marketing through social media, look no further than Cha Cha Matcha. They've gained popularity through their bright green tea drinks and soft serve ice cream. I caught up with owners Matthew Morton and Conrad Sandelman at their location on Broom Street in Lower Manhattan. I'm Conrad Sandelman. I'm one of the co-founders of Cha Cha Matcha. I am Matthew Morton, and I'm also one of the co-founders of Chacha Matcha. How did Chacha Matcha come about? About four years ago, Conrad and I were actually walking through Soho. At the time, I was kind of addicted to Red Bull. I was having about ten Red Bulls a day, and my energy levels were kind of always at a sink. And um, not getting great sleep. I would take them when I went out, take them when I was you know, studying for a test, and then... Connor, I was like, listen, you got to try this thing called matcha. And I was like, what's that? And we went to this weird tea shop actually down on Broom Street also. And I instantly fell in love with it. And we kind of went on a matcha tour around the city. And there was no great matcha place in New York City that kind of introduced the product the way we wanted to. Now, you guys were NYU students at the time, right, Conrad? Yeah, we both went to NYU. I'm from New York City. Matthew's from L.A., and we were in the same dorm freshman year. Instantly became friends, and Matt was really a caffeine junkie. I really liked my caffeine, but he took it to a whole new level. And then, basically, he tried matcha, really fell in love with it. I had tried it a few years prior. One of my friends came back from Japan. And then, basically, he and I went everywhere in New York, and the places that served high-quality matcha, we didn't like the experience we were getting. They were very stuffy and old-feeling. So we started thinking about why is such a great product, how can we make this exciting and new? And that kind of spun into where we are today. Now, you actually went to Japan to explore matcha, right? Yeah. um, We went there, and um, we found a farm that we really liked working with. We're actually going back. The harvest is right now. We're going back to Japan next week, uh, which we're super stoked about. We've developed a really awesome relationship with our farm. The the first harvest from our farm actually goes to the emperor of Japan first. It's really one of the top uh, matchas in the world. something that we really enjoyed doing. Super exciting getting to go back there. Now there's bound to be someone listening saying, what's matcha? So what is matcha? Matcha, by definition, is finely ground stone ground green tea, basically. And so where all the health benefits come from, instead of extracting out of the tea leaves like normally teas drink, matcha is actually whisked and you actually ingest the tea leaves. So one cup of matcha is equivalent to drinking 10 cups of green tea. So it has 137 times the antioxidants as a sigh and goji berries. And then it also has a little less caffeine than coffee. But I think what makes it so great is that it has EGCG in it which affects how caffeine is released in your bloodstream. So it kind of has this like long-lasting, all-day caffeine buzz where coffee kind of jacks you up and then lets you down. And it also has L-theanine in it, which is a natural calming agent. So Buddhist monks first started drinking matcha for meditation, and I think that's what people really respond well to. Now, I understand there's a ceremony involving matcha. Is that right? Yeah. Um, something that we practice here. We have a very, very authentic product served in a super non-traditional way. Um, in Japan, you know, it's accompanied by a tea ceremony, um, but it's also served pretty much ubiquitously uh, at the end of every meal, almost like espresso uh, in Italy. Let's talk about your establishment. As soon as you walk in the door, wow, it pops. There's no question about that. Well, as we were talking about earlier, our focus was how do we get people excited about a product that's been around for 
over a thousand years that everyone like lightly knows about, but how do you get someone excited about tea? So that's why we thought we wanted to like make like an escape from New York. So we wanted to bring in like colors that you don't normally see walking around the city and they kind of use cha-cha as like an escape from like your New York life. You have great, are they album covers on your walls? What are they? Yeah, they're just old uh, cha-cha records that we found. We really thought were just cool, kind of represented the ethos of our brand. Palm trees, I think I saw a palm tree there. Well, Matt's from Los Angeles, and so we both really like Los Angeles, and we really liked the kind of like tropical aspect of like what we could bring to New York as like giving someone experience they don't normally have. So we thought, like, what's nicer and more fun than a palm tree? And who doesn't like a palm tree? Let's talk about the menu. How creative can you get with matcha? Matcha is something that you can get insanely creative with. I mean, we've, Connor and I have personally tried it with just about everything. And it's not great with everything. It's really good in ice cream. It's really great in desserts and pastries. Um, we have one of our best-selling drinks, which you tried, is the ginger turmeric matcha latte. Um, we try to mix it with a lot of uh, health products that Connor and I really enjoy. One being chaga mushrooms, which um, the Sherpas take uh, on Mount Everest to actually increase their natural energy stores. It's kind of like the um, coca leaf of Nepal, but... Um, with no psychoactive effects, and that pairs really well with matcha as well. Yeah, I would just like to say where coffee kind of has this really dominating, strong flavor, matcha, no matter like what you mix with, like it could be like lemonades or like any type of fruit drinks, it mixes in like really well. So it all goes back to us like trying to get people like excited about this thing that's been around for so long. So we have like some purists that come here that just want their just matcha, matcha water, and then we also have people that come here that are trying matcha for the first time, and they're trying to get something that they've never really tasted before, and I think that's like really nice to have like a big variation in the menu. Getting back to ice cream, I see a soft serve machine in your store. Yeah, so when we were opening this store, we were like looking for pastries and developing like our pastry menu, and we're like, oh, like it would be like pretty cool to have like a soft serve machine in here as like just like a childhood dream, like own an ice cream machine. And then basically it ended up, we opened in the summer, and it ended up becoming like a really big part of our business model, and I think people really like and respond well to ice cream and now it started off as matcha and vanilla and then we've since started rotating the other flavors so we bring in like a new color and a new flavor every month as i was waiting for you guys this morning i noticed a lot of people snapping pictures both outside and inside what has social media done for your business instagram i mean it's definitely done a lot i think that it's an amazing gateway to be able to connect with each and every one of your customers and that's something that hasn't really been possible and it's also a sh way to showcase all of your new products. Um, we usually accompany our new drinks with like a video about the drink. Um, it's a way for customers to experience the brand without actually being in the physical location and also for others to share about their experience here. So it's, d it's definitely really helped us a lot. Conrad, how would you describe your social media strategy? Well, I would say the strategy, I think too many brands now today are just trying to push products to people. Where Matt, who actually runs the Instagram, I think he has like a good strategy of like posting like inspiration pics and like other things that like Chacha finds cool. So I think people like this like personal element to it. And then when products show up, they don't feel like we're trying to force anything on them. They're just like, oh, like Chacha thinks this is cool right now. And I think people really like that. Do you enjoy looking at the photos that people take of your establishment that end up on social? 100%. We, we love it, you know. Have you noticed any pretty cool ones? Amazing. We repost a lot of them on our on our Instagram. It's... Yeah, I think it's actually really cool because a lot of people say this. If you go to like the geotag, especially of this Broom Street store, the page almost looks curated as if someone's like running the geotag. But I th it's just a lot of people posting like really cool pictures. And I think as people 
we've been open now for 19 months, people keep on trying to like reinvent the wheel of the picture. So I, as you go through the geotag, you find some like cool new and interesting shots that we, we would never would have thought of. So, How did you settle on this neighborhood? Honestly, um, I think we got lucky. You know, I mean, the neighborhood's awesome, though. It's an intersection between Lower East Side, Soho, Nolita, Little Italy, Chinatown, and it's kind of the frontier and crossing point for a lot of really interesting people that matriculate through New York. What's next for you guys? Uh, we have two stores opening in Los Angeles in September, and we're trying to open three more stores in New York in the next six to 12 months. So, Did you ever imagine you would be here when you were both just exploring matcha together, hanging out? I don't think so, yeah. I mean, we're, we feel so lucky. Um, we're, we're, we're really thankful to have such a great team and such great customers, and we're really, really excited for what's to come. You know, our mission is to bring matcha, which is just like a really awesome, healthy product, to as many people as we can. Yeah, I would definitely say we always hoped that like we would be opening a lot of stores, but we honestly didn't really know what to expect. Like, we're both... 25 we were 23 when we opened the store and we just kind of wanted to create a place where we serve something we really liked in a fun way where our friends would want to like come and hang out and listen to music and then it all kind of just went a lot quicker than we thought so. all right anything either of you would want to add about chacha matcha that we didn't talk about come in try the ginger turmeric matcha latte or the lemonade yeah, I was going to say, come and try, try the lemonade on like a nice day. Once the spring weather finally comes, we open up the window and like listen to music and have fun. And thanks, WFUV, for uh, bringing us on the show. Oh, thank you so much. Big fans of NPR. <laughs> Conrad, thank you. Thank you. Everybody loves to cha-cha-cha. Mm. Little children like to cha-cha-cha. They like to cha-cha-cha. They like to cha-cha-cha. Matthew Morton and Conrad Sandelman are the owners of Cha-Cha Matcha, located on Broom Street in Lower Manhattan. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Boldarki. My thanks to producers Caroline Rotante and Julia Seabode. And thank you so much for listening. Right between the eyes, yeah. She said she couldn't do the cha-cha-cha. She said she could.